Hello everyone. Uh, for I think this will be the last episode of 2020. Uh, so thank you all if you have listened to all of my episodes. Thank you for joining me for the past few months. Um, for this episode, I spoke with Ryan Nelson. He is an Australian. He is the founder of a bunch of charities and social organizations. And as you will soon hear, he is a former police officer. He is also the host of his own podcast called No Humble Opinions. Uh, Ryan and I met on over at work, actually. Um, I sell transcripts for podcasts, and he bought some. Uh, and after I noticed his, the name of his podcast, I said that I had to have him on mine. And he luckily agreed to that, and we had a good conversation about... Um, having difficult discussions, uh, their utility, and what he hopes to gain out of them. So thank you to Ryan for coming on. You can always listen to his own podcast, uh, No Humble Opinions. And yeah, enjoy the episode. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Eugene. How are you, buddy? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. A bit warm this morning in um, sunny or sunny Redcliffe in Brisbane, Queensland. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's... What is it? It's like plus four, plus five in Montreal here, but it rained today. Okay. It's... Um, at the moment, it's about 27 here, and my mother-in-law's place in Tamworth in New South Wales, so about seven hours away, is 42 today. So it's having a go. Jeez. Okay. Well, you can always send some of that warmth to Canada. If you, <laughs> I think they wouldn't mind some of yours. Just a straight trade might be nice. Right. Right. <laughs> How okay, are you, well, my man? Tell me. Uh, sorry. How are you? You good? Oh. Oh yeah. I'm good. Um, you know, just living. I'm. <laughs> I have a job. I'm eating well. I'm exercising. I'm not addicted to any addictive substances. Um, so I'm pretty happy. Mate, how, are, how are you doing? Tell me about yourself. I, I don't know much about you. I like a beer, so maybe I'm not sure about that addiction thing. But um, no, man, I'm good. I um, okay. I am a 47 year old Aussie. Um, started up podcasting on No Humble Opinions, my podcast, about seven or eight months ago. Uh, it came about as if uh, just wanted to tell a sort of talk about stuff that other people don't talk about. Um, we, I think we spend too much time in our society these days just being offended or, you know, being unsure if we should discuss something in case someone gets offended. And I think it hurts us. I think there's a lot of things out there that are a part of life and we need to discuss those matters. And in addition to that, if you, I'm a firm believer that if you're afraid of something, if you don't understand something, sorry, you're afraid of it. So I just don't want that. So we talk about heaps of different things on No Humble Opinions. So that's one part of it. But yeah, I run a charity. I've got a few other little business interests that I that I try and do. And they all came about as a, as a result of a few years ago, things going a bit badly and um, trying to work my way through that, I guess. Good for you. Uh, what's your what's your charity? What charity work do you do? I've got a tribe. Uh, I've got a charity called Tribe Social Belonging. Uh, tribe is about opportunity. Uh, what all we do really is we put on events where people can come and visit, turn up, 
don't have to know anyone. If you're anxious, lonely, uh, new in the area, you know, just have found yourself locked away a little bit, especially, I mean, COVID hasn't helped, that's for sure. But if that is happening to you, we put on events where you can just turn up. You'll be welcomed and you'll be introduced to a group of people and then it's whatever you make of it. So it's just opportunity to meet people and get connections because life's who you know. And if you don't know anyone in this world, then you're screwed. So we sort of try and try and change that. I had a, um, it all came about, all oh, about three years ago. I was getting divorced, which is nasty enough as it is. They're never fun. And um, then my 17-year-old son got diagnosed with bone cancer in his neck. And it was a 14-month fight that we lost. Um, he died, so we didn't, didn't have him around. Jake's no longer with us. Uh, but during that time, when I was going through these really rough, difficult times, my I just had so many friends. I had so many people that were supporting me, calling me, being there for me. I could have stayed at 20 people's houses if I needed to or whatever it would have been. But And I just started really worrying about what if you don't have that? What if you've got no one and you're trying to get through the darkest time in your life? So basically, I, st- I one day I just flicked that on Facebook and said, if you're lonely, if you're anxious, I'll be at this pub at this time and if you want to come for a drink come for a drink we'll just have a chat and you won't have to be lonely and the first one we did um we had 76 people there but it that sounds really cool but 50 were my friends so you know it was sort of like you know they were looking <laughs> Wait, hold on hold on that means you have 50 friends yeah i've got i got plenty of friends up, so that's pretty impressive no I, I i do all right brother i go okay um but yeah, I mean, but then since then that was december 3 years or no, it's yeah, it might be coming up to a year, three years shortly, but it's um, we've had over four thousand people come to events, and it's it's pretty cool. Like it's just a it's an easy way to give back. We're not asking for money. We're not asking for donations. We're not trying to, you know, give furniture. We just want to make people feel like they've got someone in their community. Wow! And have you, well. Have you expanded this to other cities so far? Yeah, we've done a little bit locally. The hard part is with things like this, uh, usually everyone thinks that somebody should do something, but they forget that they're someone. So, you know, it's not hard to do what we do. And we've I've asked a few people to sort of get on board and have a go and, and just host them. Um, we've got a couple of people that are, that are getting there. We do some other events too. We do one where we have a beach day. Because I remember when my kids were young, it was very difficult getting out because your kids, you go out and your kids just misbehave and throw food everywhere and carry on and run around and, and you end up not going. But So we have a beach day where the kids can just go to the beach and you can have some adult conversation. Now, I've got another mate of mine who runs that now, which is great, so I don't always have to be there for that. Um, I've got We've got another one where we have, every Friday we have a coffee catch-up. It's just at 10 o'clock. You can come along for a cuppa whether you know anyone or not. And I don't have to be there for that all the time either, which is really good. But it's just, expanding is a funny thing. You Bigger, better, faster, more can ruin a lot of things. I have tried to expand, try a few different ways. I um, followed a lot of advice about monetizing and, oh, yeah, selling T-shirts. And you lose your way. You, you, figure, you, you, know, you forget what you're about. All you end up being is trying to you know, create some income to pay for all the stuff that you're expanding into. And you... It doesn't work. So I went from having it, you know, trying to make it bigger to just accepting the fact that it is what it is. And if it grows, that's great. But it's not, Tribe's only one thing I do. So that's a love job, that one. I don't get anything out of that one except for sort of paying back the, the world to help me out a little bit, I guess. Right. 
Right. Well, that's that's really impressive, and I look forward to seeing it pop up in in Canada and the United States because I think that that's definitely an issue. I know for me, I moved to Montreal last two months ago, and I know nobody here. I know one person, um, but it's just like, how do you meet new people in a city that's locked down mm. anywhere in the world? And well, with the person I was speaking with last on the podcast, Dr. Matt Strauss, we were talking about how with COVID. He's seeing people come into his ER room um, who are who are starving. They're old people who are starving because they don't have anyone to eat with and they're just alone. Mm. And so I think that that's going to take many more lives than we all think. We're not. And and overdoses are also going up, too. And so you cannot really ignore or discount how important socializing is for mental well-being. And I think that if you lose sight of that while you're trying to fight COVID, it may not be a, a winning battle or it'll be a ferric battle. No, it's, it's it, you, you're so right. I mean, it's my logo. Hang on, I've got my, I've got my logo here, which is a little triangle with a yellow stripe through it. But it's, it's Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs. And whether or not you know, anyone agrees with that or not, what it says in there that belonging is a great, a huge part of human psyche and, and uh, you know, a human living well. So we sort of, we have a tendency with the wonderful thing that is the internet that you and I are doing now, it's it's great. But we sort of got really excited about it, I think, and we put everything onto the internet, absolutely everything, and, and you end up being isolated. Like I would much prefer to be doing this one-on-one with a coffee and having a chat yeah. and just being in that in that circuit, you know, being in that close proximity to each other. But we're social beasts, and you know, to not have that is a is a sad thing. And man, look, you know, I'd love to see it in, in Sorry, Canada and whatever like that. So you just start it, dude. Go on, just do it. There you go. <laughs> Up to you. I will. I will. <laughs> you you cut off in the middle of it, but I'll be able to hear what you said uh, on your recording in the end. Cool, man. Um, but I, I, I got the got the gist of it. I definitely will start one in Canada, something like that. <laughs> so you, so how do you do that? You just type a post in on, on Facebook or Twitter saying, hey, yeah, I'm, man. I'm in. Man, I'll help you. I've got about, there's about 3,000 people on, on that page that watch that. And I'll just say, you know, if you want to, we'll talk. And if you say, look, Eugene is going to be at this place at this time for a coffee. If anyone's lonely or unsure, go for it. And you, you might get days when no one comes up, but you're only having a coffee. It's not the end of the world. You're not, it's not like you're pitching a tent and, and putting up a barbecue. You're just having a coffee. So it's, um, it's a simple thing. And look, it would be wonderful if it spread all over the world because it's certainly, it's certainly not about me. It's just about us. Right, right. Okay, and... and- I want to go back to what you were saying about your podcast, No Humble Opinions. Um, people fear things that they don't know much of. So what things do you talk about on that podcast? Okay, I've done, I've done some fun ones, but I've done some difficult ones. Um, the difficult ones, I guess, are the ones that people talk about the most. I did, um, I've done a death. Uh, we spoke to a palliative care nurse that I know about the process of dying, um, how to, ha- you know, because in, in our Western society, we tend to pretend, put it away in a corner and we're all going to die. And so you need to discuss that and find out, you know, how it works and what happens and, and where you go from there. And you can, people can pretend it doesn't if they like, but it will. And it's just a part of life. So we talked about that, talked about dementia. I had a very difficult, for me anyway, discussion with a, um, 
a very strong pro-life anti-abortion um, guy. He'd been to jail a couple of times for demonstrating and, and his opinion was absolutely black and white and I'm a very grey area kind of guy. Like I can see a lot of, I can see both sides on, in, on most things and for him to be so adamant whilst I was not agreeing with his point of view was a difficult one. There was a learning curve, that one, on how to hold your tongue and sort of still remain polite whilst you listen to something like that. Um, I last one I did the other day was about... Uh, I, did, oh, I did a domestic violence one with a with a guy who was a ex-offender but now runs, you know, clinics for guys that have, you know, that don't want to offend or have had problems with that. I ran one last week with um, a similar sort of vein that was um, non-physical abuse. So like, you know, gaslighting and, you know, financial you know, deprivation and a few other bits and pieces. Did one about modern slavery the other day as well, which was about, you know, uh, sexual slavery, p- human trafficking and, um, you know, and, and manufacturing. Like you can't, you can't buy a $3 T-shirt without somebody having have paid for that with their blood, sweat and tears. So, you know, there's those sort of things as well. But, but we have some fun too. I did one the other day with a, a friend of mine who's a, a rubbish collector, trash collector, um, and he was just a funny dude. So we had a really great time doing that. And you know, I've got my sort of daughter. Uh, I've got Maddie who has become like a foster daughter to us over the last three years, and she's a lunatic. So I do a few with her called um, Maddieocrity, the art of being mediocre. So everyone's well, we get her on there just because it's fun because. After a lot of really heavy going ones, sometimes you just need a bit of levity, I think, and have a bit of a, a laugh. But yeah. yeah, man, I just enjoy. Like I've got two of our um, rugby league um, stars coming on this week, but I don't want to talk about how great they are at sport. What I want to talk about is the, I think, a problem we have in our society anyway here, where you treat um, sportsmen that like role models. They must be far and above anybody else and behave better. And the truth is, they're a twenty-year-old kid that someone's paying too much money to, that all the girls love, and then we crucify them when they make a mistake. Like we just got to be more reasonable about it. So, look, I just like looking at things that I don't think should happen. I like a bit of a religion chat because I'm an atheist, and I've got a um, a padre that I really I get on pretty well with, and him and I get on there and have a bit of a crack about what I reckon and what he reckons, which is always good fun. But yeah, man, it's just it's just talking about things in a civil manner. Uh, that you don't have to agree on. And I think there should be more of that in the world. Let me play devil's advocate with you because I'm not sure I believe in that that idea that it's worthwhile to have civil discussions anymore. I might be losing my faith in that idea. <laughs> let um, me let with, me take you back with, then, brother. With the, with the pro-life guy, uh, the very black and white adamant pro-life guy, there's no way that you would change his mind through one conversation. He's not going to leave um, thinking anything any different mm-hmm. um, about his views. And you, on the other hand, because you're a bit more open-minded than he is, you might leave a bit more radicalized or a bit more adamant about your views. And so therefore, um, if what you're trying to do is make people more civil and more understanding of other people, you should not be exposed to very black and white views. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. Um, it's never my intention to change anyone's mind. My intention is always to expose a way of thinking. Now, there will probably be harder ones than that in the future. Like, I mean, I, I, I would, I would happily talk to. I mean, 
I'd ha- happily talk to racists. I'd happily talk to um, people that are very left wing or right wing. Uh, why? Because people, you, n- you need to actually hear from them what it's about. Like with him, my my idea with him was to basically hear why he feels so, so devoted to that cause and why it's so important to him. And it was in the end it. As much as he says it wasn't, it was a religious belief as much as anything, and that's that's fine. It's up to him. But it's well, there will be another side to that too, where I want to hear from the pro-choice side of things as well. So it's not there's no I'm not into grabs or you know trying to make it exciting or you know front page news or anything. It's a discussion to hear another person's point of view. There is a lack of ability in our society these days to be able to go okay, I, I will have need to agree to disagree because people used to do that a bit more and now we've got to be right. And, and the, the mad desire to be right all the time is what causes so many problems. Like I watch, I mean, you're, you know, I, I'm not sure about Canada's politics to be honest because you're probably pretty nice to each other generally, but we have, um, you know, our political parties are very interesting. We've got two, two party preferred and so they will quite often just fight about nothing just for the sake of it. But then when something goes wrong, they act bilaterally and they, they work together a lot more. And I find that extraordinary. That can't happen more. Does it always have to be a, um, a disagreement? But, yeah, in, in regards to him, that was the toughest one. And, and that was probably the most, well, oh, I was going to say aggressive, but that's probably not the right word. But, like, you know, one I felt most uncomfortable with. But, hey, he got to have his say. A lot of people had their say about what he said. And it was one of the most um, commented on my Facebook page, one of the most commented um, podcasts I've ever had. Just people's 50-50, you know, love or hate sort of a thing. And yeah, it's just the exposure to an idea as much as anything. You don't have to agree. And, and what people listen to your podcast, how do the people react, for example, in the, in the comments? Do they think that, well, I'm sure many of them think that he's crazy. I'm sure many of them thought that he was right as well. Yep. Um, but is there any other... Uh, what do you hope to achieve with these discussions other than to just try and model civil dialogue? Yeah, it's... All right, let me let me drop back a little bit. I had a funny thing happen earlier this year. I, I ran for um, local government. I ran, ran for our council. So, you know, to get on there. And I lost, and that's fine. It was a weird experience like it was I don't know if I'll ever do it again it wasn't fun particularly but what was interesting for me is you had three sections of the community that were really noticeable okay one section of the community was like uh, you know a third I'm say a quarter for instance absolutely hated me didn't matter what I said didn't matter what I did they hated me because they liked the other guy or they didn't believe in something I'd said once before or whatever it was and they just gave me no inch that's fine then you have a quarter of the community that loves you, just loves everything you do and thinks you're amazing and tells everyone how great you are. And both those sides are bullshit. Okay, they're not they're not real. I mean they they will do whatever they want to do no matter what. The interesting part of the community is the grey area in the middle. The people that listen and and ponder and decide and you know and then you know decide on the future of the world and what have you. Because they're the swinging voters or whatever else you want to call them in the middle. Now with my podcast, it's very much the same. When you get someone commenting on things, quite often you get people commenting that are very, very against it 
or very, very for it or think you're an idiot or whatever, you know, whatever it is, that's fine. But then you find a lot of people that, like I see a lot of people in my area that listen to it and they'll come and go, I listened to that. I really found that point there that you were saying very interesting and that was a very different point of view and, you know, what did you th- what did he think about this and did you think about asking this? And they're all the grey people in the middle that aren't jumping on to have a rant on Facebook, which is about your lowest level of, you know, connection with somebody really when you think about it. And uh, I had some guy, sorry, I had some guy pinging all this stuff on my page the other day saying that I was stalking him and leave him alone. If I, like, dude, it was a it was a Facebook ad. That's all. So he, I mean, he's in his own little world and he's having a good time. So he's, I don't know, he can do his thing. But the th- thing is, it's up to people to decide what they think. And if you don't like it, don't listen. It's really simple. Like, I know uh, there's an Aussie comedian. I can't remember his name, but he's in London, and he says, you know, you know what happens when you get, when someone gets offended? Nothing. Nothing happens. You're just offended. That's it. The world carries on without you. So, this is a discussion. Like you can decide whether you, what you think of it. It ain't up to me. I'm just I'm just having a conversation. I'm just floating an idea. That's all. Right, 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 right. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm not sure what the hate speech laws are like in Australia, but I know in Canada that it is illegal to deny the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, and more generally, it's illegal to incite people to violence, although that's illegal everywhere. So that doesn't apply the same way. But with regards to the idea of simply listening to what someone has to say and considering their opinion, you don't have to agree with it. You're just considering what they have to say. Don't you think that there are some ideas which are better left unspoken about? Because by exposing people to that idea, um, you'll get more people looking into it than may be good for them. Um, an, ega- an example of this would be, I was watching a movie. It was like a teen, like a teenager, a movie for teenagers or something like that. And they mentioned NAMBLA in it, uh, um, which is the National Association for Boy Love. Um, which sounds exactly what you think it sounds mm-hmm. like in the United States. And I was just thinking, why would you, as a director, include that in a script for teenagers? Because all you're going to do is get people to Google that acronym and then find out about this organization, which is trying to legalize um, pedophilia. Um, and so it's, it's in situations like that where I'm thinking it's probably not a good idea to consider all opinions i hear what you're saying um i when i left school at 18 i left school in november and i became a police officer in april so i did 10 years as a cop now what you know out of that is that all this stuff is happening anyway nothing's new okay there's not worse people out there and now there's not more crime, there's not more pedophiles, there's not any of those things. The fact is we just talk about it more now. And therefore, they become exposed, to be honest. Like the, um, I mean, the Catholic Church has been a, a disgraceful, uh, had a disgraceful record for their abuse of, of young uh, people for years. But it was always happening. It's just that you didn't talk about it because, well, you know, Father Andrew seemed like a lovely man and he would never do that to you. And that's not true. So... For me, if those people want to talk about their views on pedophilia, that's up to them. 
However, I would suggest that the good community would backlash against that themselves. And there's ways to to shut down a, a group of people by talking, and primarily it's by not listening. And and just if you think about this, okay? If, if they've got this group here where they are advocating for pedophilia, the thing is, if they're on their internet, because now they've got a place where they can hide away in their rooms and do that, so people can't actually beat the shit out of them on the street anymore. But if they do that, well, who's the first one that's looking at them? The authorities. They've clicked up straight away on somebody's um, radar, and they're getting watched, and they're getting you know seen for what they are, and then therefore they will become a target. So I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't make it go away not to talk about it. Okay, It doesn't make it to expose it is not a bad thing. I mean, I I am very, uh, not that I've got any right to be, I guess, because I'm an Australian, but I'm very anti-Trump, uh, a lot of the things he's done and a lot of the things he's said. Now, the media fought with him the entire time, and he wanted to shut them down and say, don't talk about that, that's not true, and, also, and they kept doing it. I applaud them for keeping doing that, even under a fair bit of pressure and difficulty a lot of the time. Now, we need... Uh, we need a free media and we need a free uh, freedom of speech. And if that involves somebody saying something you don't agree with, well, you just got to leave that. It's, it's up to you to not agree with that because it's happening anyway. Like, I mean, I, like I say, let me say it again. I don't think the world is a bad place. I think this is the best world that we've ever had. And I, I firmly believe that. But nothing's new. All these things are just getting discovered now because we are more open about doing it. And if... If you're talking about, say, for instance, move on to something else, you talk about terrorism and the recruitment of terrorists online and all that stuff there. Well, not talking about it's not helping it, is there? They, they can find it. They know it. If they're after it, they'll get it. And right. this is the, the thing. So if you talk about it and make it open and make it more uh, transparent that it's not something that most of the world accepts, I, I can, can only be a good thing, can't it? Yeah. I guess so. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. 100%. 100%. I mean, do you want them hiding away under rocks or in their lounge rooms or in you know, areas? Or do you want people that are abhorrent to the community in the daylight, exposed? You want them exposed. You don't want to know where they are. Right. Right. And that's a benefit. And at least you'll know who, you're, who they are. That's right. Absolutely, Bill. I, that's a good point. And I think it's... There's something else to be said about saying what you think, even if you think it's abhorrent or if it's offensive, because because then you can see what other people think about it as well. Yep. And you can rely on it. Whereas if you don't think about, if you don't say what you think, it kind of sits in the back of your mind and it festers and grows. And then other people might be thinking the exact same thing and... And, and then you can get someone who can articulate that really well, perhaps a Donald Trump. And then you get some force um, which can't really be stopped with speech and criticism because the time for that had passed. Mm. Um, so I do think that it's important to say things which might be offensive or shocking or scary. Well, can I tell you, all right, can I give you a story? This is a personal story on this one. When I was growing up, and I was I'm a, I was born in 1973, so I've probably got a few on you. That's all right. But I um when just a I, few. You don't yeah. seem that old. <laughs> I'd be grey here, brother. Um, when I was growing up, um, you know, homosexuals were hated. 
um, you know, that the use of um, racial, racial, you know, slurs was rampant. We just always, always did it. Our parents did it in front of us, and that's just what it was. I mean, that was just all around you to do that. But I had a, a really amazing experience that I really appreciated, and it was I was at the police academy, and we were visited by the Tasmanian, I was a Tasmanian cop, uh, Tasmanian Gay and Lesbian Society. And they came to talk to us, which was awesome because, believe it or not, back in 92 when I was there, being gay was a crime in Tasmania. So it was quite still stuck in the past and everything, but the police said, nope, this is moving on when it's talk to these people. So we had about, I think it was about six um, members of the Gay and Lesbian Society turn up to 25 of us in my course. And I was hostile. I was 18. I thought I knew everything. And I was sitting there and I was already hostile. And it was because of all the stuff I'd been told. And I'd never met anyone that was gay. I'd never really had anything to do with a gay person. Then we got split off into groups. And it was interesting because we had um, some openly hostile... Oh, openly hostile. Yeah, probably openly. Uh, some lesbians who were pretty full-on. Um, we had a few guys that were very camp and very overly you know, gay with, with their mannerisms or what have you. But I got sat down with this middle-aged guy in a three-piece suit. And he started telling us about um, how hard it was to be gay in society and how much uh, he had been uh, discriminated against and how difficult it was. And I'm so ashamed of this comment, but I'm so glad I made it. So, I'm 18, I'm stupid, I know nothing. And I said, well, mate, you chose to be gay. Why is it my problem that you've chosen this lifestyle? And he looked at me... And he was so kind, and he was so decent, and he looked this 18-year-old idiot, and he said, mate, I've, I've tried to live your world. I never, I never wanted to be gay. I've never chosen to be gay. So I've got two kids, I've been married, I've tried my best to be what you want in society, or what society wants, I think he said. But I can't do it. I'm just gay, and that's how it is, and I've taken me all this time to accept that. And that was a profound discussion for me. I went away from that discussion feeling ashamed of myself, uh, a new realisation of another person's life, uh, and I have never, ever felt the same way since. I have heaps of gay friends who I love dearly. I you know, I think, I, I think it's influenced me more on a lot of other things as well in that uh, it, was, it wasn't just homosexual people. It was all thoughts, forms of things. Like I've got a great... Um, uh, episode I did on No Humble Opinions about being transgender and that was really interesting and that was a really difficult journey for the people that were on it and and I'm so grateful for them out saying that but can you imagine if we'd never had that conversation and I go and be a police officer thinking how much I hate gays and I had no reason to it was just because my society at that point in time in history was feeling that way so that was a discussion that I'm glad I had that I didn't agree with to start with but it it shone a whole light on a topic that I wasn't, I didn't know enough, I knew enough to be dangerous. That's about it. So, man, that was one I'm glad I had. And how long did it take for you to change your your opinion and your worldview on gay people after that comment from him? Probably about eight hours. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, oh man, I, I couldn't sleep that night. I went to, I, that was the, I think it was one of the last ones of the afternoon. I just remember thinking about it constantly. I went to um, to bed that night in, in, 
you know, in our boarding room at the academy, and I just lay awake and I thought, oh my god, I've done this so wrong. What, like, I'm a very heterosexual guy, and what if somebody told me that that loving women was illegal? What if that was wrong? What if all those feelings I had inside me as a as a man were turned around and been told that it was wrong and illegal and and people you know you know there's been heaps of gay bashings in my country for years and years and and for that to occur to me just because that that's who I loved it just bent my mind I just woke up feeling like I've just been so wrong so yeah I can definitely fix it for me I can tell you that could I ask you another question go for it dude that's why we're here so you were a police officer for 10 years Mm -hmm. but I'm sure you're... But why did you leave the police force? Uh, okay. I did a number of jobs in the police force. I was a uniform cop for about four and a half years out of maybe five. Yeah, maybe five. And I did two years in drug squad and two years in CLB, which is Detectives Criminal Investigation Branch. And um, I had my wife at the time. Uh, we, she got pregnant and we had twins and it she was a very difficult pregnancy for her and being a detective is pretty full-on you are almost married to your job to a degree you've got to be there a lot of time there's a lot of overtime there's a lot of court appearances and they require you on on site and i was struggling a great deal with a a wife who had um postnatal uh, depression and two sick kids that was after she had the children and we had a one-year-old, a two-year-old as well, sorry. And that was just, it was just, anyway, I remember I was, I got sent into the office by my um, boss at the time. And he said, mate, you're falling behind. And I said, I know, I can't, I can't juggle everything at the moment. And I tried, I did a secondment, which is when you go and work in a different area for a while. I went to the traffic branch, which is, you know, not my cup of tea at all, but it just, you know, I went and did that for a while. And I came back and they said, you need to decide whether you're a detective or a dad. And I said, see ya. So that was um, an interesting change and I went to Queensland where I live now. So I went right up the other end of Australia where Tassie's pretty cold and miserable and Queensland's pretty warm as we discussed early on. And so the weather's a lot nicer but I had to find a new job so I fell into doing real estate for 15 years. So yeah, mate, that's why I left. I loved the job. I, the, um, I loved the, the crims, you know, the bad guys. I loved dealing with them. I loved all the action. I loved driving fast cars and, you know, getting into fights and doing all the things you do as a cop and whatever. And I loved all that. I just, the, the requirement from the bosses to be a, you know, a very intense member just wasn't right, right for me at the time. Right. And, well, one of many reasons stopping me from being a police officer, not that I want to be a police officer, but I'm just imagining wouldn't you be afraid of of retaliation you're going up against people who may be criminals who may be tied to gangs and here you have a two-year-old um a newborn set of twins and a wife um they're vulnerable and therefore so are you we had a few dramas um no i wasn't scared i just i don't scare too easily um eugene to be honest so you know it wasn't really it's like come get me if you want but it's um no, we had a few little things happen. We had one lady one day run into our house. It was interesting. I was out the back doing something in the garden, and my wife came and saw me and said, "Ah, oh, there's someone on the phone for you." And I said, "Oh, just can you just I'll ring him back, don't?" And she said, "No, no, no. There's someone on the phone for you." 
All right, I came in and here's this woman covered in blood in our lounge room and she knew who we were, who I was. And so she'd burst in the front door because her, her partner was, you know, sorting her out at the time and it was a pretty um, unreasonable spectacle. But, I mean, you know, it's... I think being, a lot of the time, being a cop, there's a, a sense of... What is it? Oh, I don't know. There's a, there's a sense that you can handle yourself a fair bit and it's probably... It's best for them not to hassle you to be honest, most of the time. I mean, unless you're doing things and you're involved in things that you shouldn't be doing, there is a... I'm not, I wouldn't say it's a respect, but there's a certain code, I guess, of, well, you know, you're doing your job, we're doing our job, you know, and if you treat me nicely, I'll treat you nicely sort of thing. Like, I mean, if you go... In Drug Squad, a lot of Drug Squad is doing investigations on, you know, on people and trafficking and whatever it might be, but then, then you've got to raid their house, because it's always in the end it ends up being a search. Now you've got a couple of things you can do. You can go in and smash everything, and you know really make it hard for them and push their face. We don't do that American cop stuff. We don't have guns in faces all that often or anything like that. We're sort of you know we try and go in as yep okay we're coming into your house but we can do this nice or we can do this hard, and we tried to do it nice as often as possible. And most of them realise that they're doing the wrong thing. Most of them realise that one day they're going to get caught, so it might as well be today, I guess, and and go from there. But no, I had a few little scuffles in the city when I was in, sh- you know, shopping with the the family and other bits and pieces. But it's all part of the fun, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> I I cannot empathise with you. I think you're just someone who's very low in neuroticism, and I am someone who's really high in neuroticism. <laughs> Um, and I, it's just like, I can't empathize with that. I would be so scared on the job all day that I would be an extremely timid police officer. I'd suggest um, you don't do it then, Eugene. Don't do it. Sorry? I'd suggest you don't do it then, mate. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. advise you. You'd be a good one. But, yeah. but I mean, yeah, that's a thing too. Like my, my beautiful new wife is um, amazing, but she's, we have this funny thing where she's always worried about what might happen. She's always planning for what might happen. And I say to her, but what if it doesn't? And she gets really annoyed with me for saying that. But you can't, okay, bro, you can't plan for everything. Like, it's really interesting to me. I find it so interesting. People sit up there and make all these plans. Now, no one planned for COVID. Just no one. A few years back, no one planned for GFC, really. And that hit, and, you know, global financial crisis, and that hit, and everyone went, oh, my God. And all these experts are out there doing all this stuff there, and no one knew. No one knew it was going to happen, and... I remember being in, when I was in the cops, you'd have this big book, big fat book called Standing Orders. And that was your basics on what you would do in any given situation at its base level. This is the way you go sort of thing. But that's fine in that situation. But every time something happens, you're winging it. Every time. Because there's no rule book. There's no guidebook on what's going to happen next. And you just got to roll with the punches and go with it. So anxiety about what might happen just seems pretty pointless to me really i'll just deal with it when it does right wow i'm gonna have to like as an experiment one day just try and wear your frame of view and (laughs) just think what happens if nothing happens and just go about as if life is okay well isn't it funny why why do our psyches always go towards something bad happening why don't our psyches go towards something great happening like what if it's awesome because well if something's great, it's great. But if something's bad, then you can die. You know, like it's the end. But then it's just the end, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. 
Like it's when when my son died. Like you know, we we and we do. Like it, it was the most terrible thing to happen in my life. Absolutely. But we joked. You know, every once in a while you sort of go, well, you know, Jake's not worried about it. Like he's not he's not feeling it. He's not sitting there worried about what might happen next because that's it. It's all done. And man, it's just you know you can't if you live life in fear, you're missing out. And, I mean, there's stuff I don't want to do. Like, I'm not real big on heights, so I don't really want to go skydiving and all those sort of things that other people say are great. But that's because it puts me in a place of, of unease, and that's okay. But so many other things, like, okay, podcasting. Here we are doing this. Firstly, probably, does anyone care that we're sitting here doing it? Are we doing anything worthwhile? Is anyone listening? Uh, could it be amazing? All those things, well, we don't know. Like, it's it's like... Someone could listen to this podcast here and go, wow, Eugene's just phenomenal, he's so good, or that I'm okay, or whatever it might be from that. But if you sit here being frightened that something bad might happen, that, you know, if I say something that I shouldn't possibly say and you clip it and use it somewhere else, well, that's something I'll deal with when it happens. I mean, it's, you just got to, I think you got to trust in the universe a little bit and go, okay. It'll be what it is. Like a lot of stuff that happens isn't fun, but it's amazing how often you can't control that thing that isn't fun anyway. Right, and so you just kind of take the world as it is and let it go, go man. Let it go. Don't stop gripping on so tight. Okay, I'll I'll try that. Yeah, good luck. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, what's your okay? So now I have to ask you this question: uh, What's your most contrarian opinion? Oh, I don't have. Mm, that's an interesting question. I heard you ask that the other day on one of your other podcasts I do too. So, um, or the one that you've said publicly that has gotten the most reaction. Mm. Uh, all right. Here's a difficult one. I haven't said a lot of this before, but I've discussed it in private. So here's a one here. You talked about pedophilia earlier. Okay, which is one of the most fire-setting opinions you'll ever have, and it's one of the most difficult things to talk about in the world. But you still got to look at it. Now, in my opinion, from the people I've spoken to in this, it's a sexual orientation, and it's. The, the reason it is a crime, and I do think it's a crime, and I think it's really interesting, but it's because there's a victim. And a, a, a young person can't consent. And that's a very difficult thing. Um, you consider this, like it was illegal to be homosexual, okay? It was illegal to have uh, sex out of wedlock. It was illegal to prostitution and all these bits and pieces that we've all sort of gone eventually, well, how do we deal with these things? And we've gone to a point then of them being... Uh, sanitized to a degree, if you like, accepted to a degree, if you like, and, and so most of the time that in a person's personal life, as long as they're not hurting somebody else, society's pretty cool for them to do whatever they want to do. Like there's a, there's a, you know, there's a sex toy shop on every freaking corner. So, you know, someone's agreeing to it somewhere. But, but with pedophilia, there's a victim. And it's interesting to see people just yell and scream and say that all pedophiles should be killed or castrated or or whatever it means. I don't know. I mean, I am unsure of what to do with that situation, to be honest, because this is... And I've, I've met them through the police. Like, we've locked them up plenty of times. And 
your situation is this is the way this person feels about this child. Now, it's not right to us, and it's probably not right to the child, which is, well, at that point in time, sometimes it is, to be honest. And then they realise all the guilt and all the, oh, my God, this man has been doing the wrong thing to me. And I'm saying man, it could be woman, whatever, but you know, this person has been doing the wrong thing to me. And so the guilt comes over the child, and that's then the child's issue with that. The difficulty is it's a sexual orientation. So how do you how do you get around that? What do you do? I mean, it's is it something you do with um, therapy? Is it something you do with you know uh, you know some different ways of of treating people that that have you know that have this sexual orientation? I'm not sure, man. And it's not, but I, I can't. I find it interesting. When everyone just wants to. Slaughter because I've met some pedophiles in, in the police that they genuinely love their victims, genuinely love them. There is no doubt about that. They do in their heart and soul. But it's a it's a wrong in our society, and I think in in most societies it's a it's a wrong it's 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 not a great partnership. It's not something to do because there's a victim in it. But what's interesting is in years gone by, um, there have been societies where it was acceptable, and a man a, a younger person would interact with an older older man particularly and they would mentor them and show them life and there was a part of that that was a sexual relationship i mean it's hundreds and hundreds of years ago perhaps thousands so i mean things have changed but it's a difficult thing to look at that and just say oh we'll just lock them up or set fire them all i mean you can deal with it like that if you want but i think that we need to look at things a different way Otherwise, you keep getting the same result. One thing I think is wonderful, though, is that people are exposing it now and talking about it and saying when these things happen. But as a society, we need to look at a different way of doing it. So that's probably that's the hardest one. That's probably the most um, uh, what easily uh, attacked on me one on that, I guess. But I don't know, man. It's just a very difficult thing. I, I'm. I mean, th- personally, that sounds very similar to what I think. Um, the difference between a homosexual relationship and a pedophilic relationship is that one causes harm, whereas the other one doesn't, and both people are able to consent. And while I do think that pedophilia is wrong, um, treating it as if it is something disgusting and horrible, which is both true, but when you come at it as if this person is subhuman, um, that they should be pushed out of the community, I think it leads to pedophiles not talking about the issue and not going to see a therapist. Like I think many states in the United States have these laws where if a therapist finds out that the person they are treating is a pedophile, they have a legal obligation to report it. Mm. And that might end up harming the and then the pedophile will be put on some public list and then everyone will find out around him that he's a pedophile and this could be really bad um, for his future. And I mm. think that that's harmful because chances are the best way to deal with pedophilia is to go see a therapist um, and to figure out how you can take care of your emotions and and what you desire so that you don't end up causing harm to another person. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and, look, yeah, sorry, and, go. And that's just the best that we can do. Um, and it, it, it really sucks if you are born with an orientation that ends up hurting other people. Um, but it, 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 yeah, you're just an extremely unlucky person.
you just got but we as a society need to learn to deal with it a different way i mean on another point too we've got a situation here we've just had an election here and one of our um sides ran a um a very big campaign on cracking down on youth crime and that i wasn't happy about that like firstly it's not as big a deal as everyone makes it out to be but it's really good at scaring people okay so particularly older people get frightened of young people hanging groups and whatever it is there but I'll ask you this, is it better to arrest them and put them all in jail or lock them into detention where they meet better criminals than them anyway and all they do is go to, it's like a school where you go there and learn how to be a better one or do you look at the base problem? I mean, do you look at the fact that, I mean, if you're possibly coming out of a family which is third generation unemployed and they've never seen anyone go to work and the the way to, to earn a living is to deal dope or to steal or to do you know whatever that that uh, their you know criminal orientation might be in that should you have a look at them and give them opportunity i mean you talk about going back to tribe again there's we've done heaps of work with young people there and the fact is brother it's really hard to be a good man if you never met one but we all we do is think oh a lot of what we do is lock them up lock them up lock them up well they don't feel any love about that. They don't feel like anyone cares about them out of that. I was very lucky. My my mother died when I was nine. My dad had left when I was seven, and I had um had some bad guardians there for a while. But then I had some great foster parents, and they showed me how to be a decent bloke and how to to do the right thing. Well, what if we as a society stumped up and did that as opposed to just saying, oh, some the police should do something? Why don't you get off your ass and go and see someone, make sure they're all right. I mean. You gotta look at things different ways. If you, if there's a saying that says, "If you always do what you always done, you always get what you always got," and it's if we keep doing it the same way all the time, we can expect to be acting in the same manner. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's right. You're doing do a you lot of that... shaking your head in this, Eugene. Sorry, <laughs> you're doing a lot of shaking your head during this, brother. Oh. <laughs> Well, I just agree a lot with what you're saying, I guess. Cool. Huh. Okay. See, it's not um, too bad, is it? No humble opinions, is it right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me, well, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you about was in Australia, in the state of Victoria. It's the one on the west coast, I believe. Nope, it's um, the east coast right down the bottom. It's the second. You've got Tasmania that's an island off the end, but the first one on the mainland of Australia on the southeast is Victoria. Right. Hold on. I just remember what I was going to say, um, what I was going to ask you about before. Yes. So as a police officer, you've probably encountered people who were emotionally unstable, who weren't really in a place to listen to what you were saying to mm-hmm. them when you were issuing commands or stuff like that. Um, and, and you've probably also encountered people like that in your day-to-day life, along with perhaps on your podcast, where you don't doesn't really seem possible to reach them um, and and show them what your position is. Do you have any tips on how to speak to someone like that? Um, I think the biggest uh, tip you can give for when you said speak to someone is funnily enough listening. Uh, you've got two ears, one mouth. Okay, so listen twice as much as you talk. And you can, a lot of people have a conversation and their idea of a conversation is waiting for an opportunity to speak. And you miss a lot by doing that, okay? And that's part of 
having an opinion. Like it's it's interesting in your. I've been an interviewer. I'm being interviewed today, and sometimes you have to think ahead a little bit and think, oh, what what's my next train of thought? Where am I going with it? That's that's slightly different, I guess. But if you're in a conversation with a person in everyday life, just hear their opinion. Hear what they're really saying, not what you think they're saying, what you what not what you want to disagree with on it, but why. Why do they feel that way they feel? Why is this uh, their 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 path? I mean, having giving someone the opportunity to be heard is a wonderful thing, and we don't appear to be very good at it these days. Well, many of us anyway. And I say these days. I don't know, brother. This is the only time I've ever lived, so I'm not sure if it was any worse any other time anyway. But it's. I don't know. The opportunity to be heard is is a great thing, and and whether you're in the police and and you're dealing with someone who's you know, got a lot of mental issues and isn't too well. Listening to them will often let you know where they're at and let you know that you know what they need. Do they need mental assistance? Do they need the hospital straight away? Do they just need someone to talk to? Whatever it might be, because that's a part of policing. It's just listening and talking sometimes. Um, on my show, I had one in- instance where I've had a few very interesting um, occurrences, and on my show with the the one about death in particular. Uh, the palliative care nurse that I was speaking to suddenly started tearing up and having a pretty hard time with it and she started talking about the fact that she thought very seriously about taking her own life at one point in time and that was unexpected I didn't know that was going to come up and but she it was like an opportunity for her to be heard I guess and to say look I you know I get it I, I, I had my own times as well I'm not just lecturing I've been down that path too so biggest thing you'll ever get in discussion is is listening and i think if there was a lot more of listening as opposed to waiting for an opportunity to speak it would probably be a better place okay okay um and i've changed my mind i I won't ask you about victoria um do you have any book books or um thinkers that you look up to that you would recommend people to seek out no i listen to i mean no i've never really got into the the influences kind of thing or the the you know great psychologists and also, I listen to a lot but I I love to listen to normal people I love to listen to just your everyday Joes because man they make a lot of sense sometimes like I've got I've got sayings that I say and you know terms that I use but and they're quite often stolen from other people like that thing I said about you know if you always do what you always done you always get what you always got well I don't think Plato said that but I can tell you that you know someone said that and they're dead right like if you look at a lot of people that are unhappy in their world and, and don't want to, you know, and, and come to tribe and say, oh, it won't work, but they do the same goddamn thing every day. And I don't know how to help them to see that. But I think you can get a lot of wisdom, wisdom out of older people. Uh, after this discussion here, I'm going to speak to a mate of mine who'd be oh, 20 years on me, probably. And I am just going to go and listen to him. He had a few ideas on some stuff for tribe. And I'm going to go and hear what he's got to say because what's a sad thing when I was talked about we don't we don't recognise death enough. One of the other things we don't do very well, unfortunately, is is respect our elders like we should. A lot of um, Asian societies, in particular, just revere their elders and they're the head of the house. And, and we in Australia, I don't know about in Canada, but we in Australia, when they get a bit difficult, we tend to put them in a home and visit them once a month, and that's an awful thing. There's so much knowledge and there's so much experience there that we just let go and they've got so much to tell you they've done it like so why wouldn't you have a listen again so yeah i I don't have anyone that i'd refer to except the fact that i'll tell you what do yourself a favor go down and visit your old people's home 
Go and have a chat to them. Talk to the old guy in the park who's feeding the pigeons. He'll tell you something. Right. And I think old people are more open to spontaneous conversation yep. than younger people are who might be like, why are you talking to me, a stranger? Well, we, we and, think, so younger people think they know it all. And that's like, that's right. like me with the um, discussion with the gay guy, sitting there all hostile because I knew it and I didn't know anything. So, right. yeah, you're spot on. Old people will talk and they'd love it. And, and you know, it's, this is something I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago too. It's a bit sad that our society is upside down. You know, old people, no, it's the young people who are teaching old people how to use technology and how to do things in the world. For all of human history, it was the other way around, where the old people were the, one who, were the ones who had all the authority yeah. because they had this wisdom and experience that not only they pulled from their own ancestors and, and parents, but they learned themselves. And I think that it's kind of sad that um, young people today are the ones who are... We live in a youth culture, and so that what does that leave you when you're like 35 or older than 35? Mm. It's... Like I heard somewhere that baby boomers don't want to be called senior citizens because they take offense to it, <laughs> which is, it's so sad. But like personally, I think that you like living and life should get better as you grow older, not worse as you grow older. And hopefully that's how you age gracefully. And yeah. Well, I hope so. And I guess on that, I've got an interesting theory about getting older and the fact that I have no interest in retiring. I've got a fair way to go before this went to come, but I've got no interest. What I hate gardening. I don't like golf. I mean, I just want to keep doing things that I enjoy doing. And and if that's doing what I'm doing now, great. If it's doing something else, that's fine too. But yeah, I, I yeah, I think there's a few things in society we could change. I, I with the youth based um, society, as you said, uh, that'll I think that'll come around a little bit again because we're starting to figure out that the internet's not the be all and end all. We still need to have human interaction and human conversation. And to be able to do that is a wonderful thing. So I'm hoping people start figuring it out. Yep. Yep. Okay, uh, Ryan, where can people reach out to you if they want to help you out? Okay, cool. Or, or learn more. A few things. I'll give you a couple of links if you want after this. But first, there's my dog going off. I've, yeah, we've got a great Dane. He's actually an average Dane. He's not that great. He's okay. Um, so we've got <laughs> No Humble Opinions is my podcast. Um, so it's on Spotify, Apple, and uh, plenty of other areas too. I've got a website that's nohumbleopinions.com. Um, Facebook obviously page there. That's there to have a look at as well. Uh, but Tribe Social Belonging, I'll send you through an idea for that so you can see what that's sort of all about and the way that kind of runs. But, man, I'm Ryan Elson. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you disagree with anything I've said on this, Give me a yell. Go your artist. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.